Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight we continue Voices from Behind the Wall, the Mentally Ill, those who are struggling with mental ill challenges, and the complexity of that situation, it really doesn't matter behind the wall. Tonight we are the voices of the mentally ill and those who are crying for help and continue to go ignored. This is AJC Radio. Voices from behind the wall, mentally ill abuse happening in America's prisons. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and Samson Riddle joining us tonight along with the AJC radio team. As we continue to discuss the horrific, really, stories and realities that are happening in America's prisons and jails across this nation, and we're going to get into that discussion tonight. Why are mentally ill people being taken to America's county jails, to prisons, all across this country, which is not a place of treatment, but you hear tonight that the largest mental institution housing mentally ill patients in this nation right now are county jails in America's prisons. They have become asylums, and I'll tell you what, folks, it's something that has to be discussed. It is abuse at its highest level to those who cannot possibly be culpable in committing acts of of crimes and really not even knowing what is going on, and we've locked them away and thrown away the key. 
Something has to be done. And not only have we done that, we have abused them in during their time of incarceration. Uh, feel free, folks, to dial into this show at 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. And, uh, Samson, I'll start with you. This is a big, big deal. We're going to be joined uh, a little bit uh, later in the show uh, with Heather Chapman, her son, incarcerated, mentally ill. She will tell the stories, some of the horrific things her son has gone through. We're going to be joined with George Mattencrot, who, who joined us last week. Uh, he, this is something that's very passionate to him. Give me your thoughts as we get ready to go down this road. Well, I mean, we've already we've seen some in our, in our past shows where people have been diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar, and I mean, it's sad that you know the mentally ill and disturbed are put through these horrendous uh, situations where they have no idea what is going on. They they're not aware of their surroundings. They're not aware of who's doing what. All they know is they're being abused. They're being mistreated. They're being treated worse than animals. And, I mean, where, where is the justice system in all of this? Because, I mean, I, I know just from, like, a brief Google, you know, that there is a, there's a, a statute out there that says you have to be fit in order to stay in trial. So, I mean, what, what are these judges, what are these people doing locking people away that clearly need professional help? They don't need to be behind the closed walls. They don't need to be given a number, put in an orange jumpsuit or anything else like that. They need a doctor, a licensed practitioner looking after their mental well-being. And the fact that they're not getting it, it's, it's, it's an absolute travesty. And, and really, they've shifted responsibility to the county jail. People with no training of how to interact. If something happens with a mentally ill patient, an inmate in their custody, they take it as a threat. They take it as whatever they, however they take it, not being trained of how to see the symptoms, that something is going on here. Let's get him some help. Let's get a psychologist. Whoever can deal with his mental issues, they simply and they are putting these people you want to hear tonight in solitary confinement. You have folks who are not even struggling with these issues who feel like they're losing their minds in solitary confinement. They begin to try to figure out how can I take my life. These are people with no mental issues. And what happens when you're dealing with these type of uh, issues? And then you, on top of that, you lock them in the hole. How? I, I do not understand that. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right when these when you mean say that these people don't have the training. They don't mean like the training that these guys go through. And we've, when we talked about this before, like they don't know how to recognize the signs of somebody that may have PTSD, somebody that may have you know schizophrenia or bipolar or some form of OCD or whatever it may be that causes their compulsions, that causes their tics, that causes them to react and sometimes overreact or even violently react. To a scenario, they're just thinking that there's some, you know, hostile inmate or hostile detainee, and they go right back to that rugged Gestapo training that they've gone through. No, absolutely right. What are your thoughts? You know, it, it, we have heard this theme over and over again, and the bottom line is these places are just built to house um, house bodies. They're not there for rehabilitation. They're not there to address any of the true cares and concerns of these people, and so. These people are not even trained to identify when people are dealing with some kind of mental uh, illness or mental disability. They don't have the, the care, the compassion. They don't want to do this. They want to be cruel, and they want to treat these people in the most cruel and inhumane way as, as possible. So why, they, find they, they are in a position where they find victims and they prey on them. They're not going to care about those that are dealing with mental disabilities, and they're not – 
and it's it's terrible. We've heard cases of it. The one case I'm thinking about is Darren Rainey. I'm thinking about, you know, I believe he dealt with a bipolar disorder, I, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. No one is going to care about this man. as he, They don't care about the humanity. So they're not going to be sympathetic when somebody is going through, you know, an issue or experiencing a level of difficulty. It's just sad to hear. And that's what our prison system has really resulted to. Dennis, your thoughts? Yes, and, uh, you know, according to human rights, I mean, uh, uh, they're saying that, you know, if you look at it, really uh, solitary confinement is used because, I mean, they don't understand. They, they don't understand schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or these other uh, issues that our inmates are dealing with. And then what happens is uh, since, you know, the system is not designed uh, to provide medication or to even deal with mental illness, uh, the only way, you know, uh, officers feel that they can, uh, you know, actually address the situation is uh, solitary confinement. And again, you know, using violence against these people, because first of all, they don't understand that they have a, a, a sickness or there is an illness. So it's sad, you know, that I think the biggest thing that we've we got to educate our, uh, our, 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 our officers, you know, in the prison system. And then not only that, you know, we always talk about compassion. Uh, you know, if you don't have compassion and if there is not uh, uh, something in place that, you know, where, where you're going to pay, you know, you're going to you're going to pay for for treating people wrong or doing the wrong thing, whatever your actions, there are consequences. And until then, they're going to continue to treat mentally ill uh, in the wrong fashion, first of all, because they don't know how to deal with it in the first place. So we're going to probably get some some statistics tonight from our research team. Uh, in regards to the number of mentally ill patients that have actually taken their life uh, as a result of this. And you know what? In in cases where you have mentally ill inmates, many of these these inmates as patients have to be watched continually around the clock because of what they're dealing with in their own mind. And that's where solitary confinement comes in. But here's the problem. In solitary confinement, they're left alone. Not being observed because you have regular people inside the confinement. We saw a couple weeks ago where the guy has blood in the toilet and they walked by and did nothing. So you can't put a person in a hole and say, we'll be observing it. No, you're going to leave them there to die. That's what that's that's the trend of what we see. Cliff, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is these... uh these people should not be in a in a regular incarceration facility. A person with a, a mental inhibition or issue does not belong in jail. They belong in a a uh, institute that is set aside for them, where they have uh, medical attention. They can have uh, not only medication available, but somebody that um, you know, uh, somebody there that looks after them to see that, okay, if you're supposed to be taking this medication for uh, whatever issue you have, whether it's uh, bipolar or schizophrenia or whatever, somebody needs to be watching them to make sure that they're taking their medication so that they can be in a stable state of mind. In solitary confinement, there's nobody there coming in saying, here's your medication for this particular time of day and uh, making sure that you take it. So they just spiral down further and further into a, um, you know, kind of into a psychotic break. And then they have issues where then they say, okay, well, they're being violent. You have a person 
that should be a patient, not an inmate. And that is, that's what's going on in America's prisons today, and that is what has to be changed. And I know we had uh, spoken to one of the guests before that, you know, a lot of times the, the funding for the, the, um, the mental institutions has been taken away, and it all boils down to and goes back to, uh, you know, the prison, um, you know, complex for basically making money. It's not about, um, you know, helping people to become better citizens. It's about building a bed so that these prisons can uh, be paid, especially at the state level, so they can be paid by the state and at the federal level so they can continue to get funding from the taxpayers. And Lisa, as a, as a mother, uh, we're going to hear from Heather Chapman here shortly. I cannot even begin to imagine the heart of a mother struggling with the fact that your son is in here and you feel the bad part about incarceration for the family and the loved ones that are there is the feeling of helplessness because you can't, there's nothing you can do when your son is locked up behind the wall and as a mother, give me your thoughts because when you hear about something like this, not, I mean, as a mother, just someone who's in prison, let alone struggling with the issues that you as a mother have seen and knowing what it takes to take care of your son, how difficult must that be, Lisa? Well, honestly, Lamont, I think it's just, uh, it's a matter of just plain humanity. I mean, mother or no mother, that the, they're treating these inmates like they're animals. They're treating them like they're less than human. They're not taking care of them the way they should be taking care of them. They're locking them up when they should be being in a hospital, being treated. They're, everything is just twisted with the way that they're handling things with these people. I mean, uh, as I mean, you say as a mother, any mother's going to be concerned about her child with when you know there's things they need that they're not that they're not going to get. You know they're not going to take care of them. You know they don't care. They're not trying to ensure that they have the medication they need. They're not trying to make sure that they have all the caring things that they need. They don't care. But even outside of that, just to be just a if you call yourself a human being, there should be some sense of guilt that these people are being treated like they're less than human. I don't care what a, what a man's done, whatever issues he's had, whether it's because he's, he's got uh, uh, mental issues or because he's just, he's just messed up and doing things wrong. These people are still human, and they're not being treated like they're human. No, absolutely right. And uh, it's the humanity that is missing in this whole equation. And it's something that has to be looked at. But not only looked at, action needs to be taken. I don't know how many stories since we've started Voices from behind the wall that have been so heart-wrenching that bring you to a point of tears. You, you cannot believe that this is going on. Mr. Rainey uh, in Florida had some, uh, some mental issues there. You cooked this man in a shower. And today I had the opportunity to look at some of the pictures, Cliff, that we had uh, – I have – never seen something so horrific in my life and the skin off of this man's back you you and and you have guards standing outside of a of a shower laughing as this man is cooked to death screaming for his life and if you saw the pictures and the eyes man the fear in that man's eyes when when that when they pulled and showed his, I've never seen anything so horrific in my life. The fear, whatever he dealt with, whatever he saw in that moment, 
is captured in those eyes as, as when he died. It is, it is a tragedy. We will continue to be a voice for these people. This is, this is beyond words to me, that we sit back and how do, do guards, not one guard, be charged with a crime? When you see this man's body, when you see this man's horror, how does no one be held accountable? Are responsible for these actions. We will be the voice until there is no voice left for those behind the wall. This is AJC Radio coming back. Abuse of the mentally ill, dying, death, horror behind America's jails and prisons. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call or just calls today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the ten biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. 
there's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize the message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can help you to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio. Time to rise up and be a voice for the voiceless tonight and every day thereafter as we are blown away of the inhumanity in this country, the cruel torture that is going on in America's prisons and county jails. And Dennis, I'm going to go to you and Samson on this one. My understanding was is that there was a big uproar about certain tactics that were used in the time of war for interrogation purposes and was told it was totally unacceptable uh, by former administrations, that it was torture. I cannot help but believe that what we have heard and what we will hear tonight fits the mold of torture. How is that possible when our enemies of war, who are there to kill us? It's, it's amazing. Uh, again, we, we talked about the Geneva Convention in which uh, uh, prisoners, uh, they, they are afforded rights. I mean, uh, you, you, can't, you, you can't treat them in, inhumanely. They have to have uh, food, and, and this, this food and has to be good, food. adequate food. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, they have to have uh, living you know, quarters. Uh, they must be able to practice their religion. I mean, it's, it's huge. But yet, when it comes to the prison, when American citizens, they're not afforded the right. I mean, they barely want to give you a phone call. I mean, it's just amazing that the contrast, when we talk about our enemy. But are we to assume that our prison system is calling our American citizens worse than enemies? I mean, you have to really look at it that's because doing. that's what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're housing them, right? They're not letting them practice their religion. They're putting them in solitary confinement. Uh, they didn't waterboard, but, I mean, when you throw someone in a, a hot shower, you know, 180, I think it was 180 degrees, uh, that is a form of torture. Absolutely. I mean, so... 
uh, we got a major problem in our prison system. And again, uh, uh, until we start voting for those uh, that, that don't get me wrong, we believe in tough against crime. Uh, but I mean, we got to do the right thing. We have a problem in our prison system. We are torturing people and especially the ment- mentally ill because we don't understand them. So the first thing we do is we throw them in solitary confinement and then we don't do nothing about them. William. You know, it, it's it's terrible when you compare what's going on. Uh, when you do, you say, what are, what are, how should we treat an enemy of, of war, a combatant that was actually intended, to, his intent was to kill us. And has killed. And has killed. And then you say, but we have to, once he's in custody, keep him at this standard. This is what's agreed upon. But like Dennis said, our own citizens, those that are here that, that have, you know, they may have been in a bad place, at wrong, wrong place, wrong time. They may have been wrongfully convicted, or they may actually have done something. But regardless, they have been treated worse than we've seen prisoners of war. We've seen animals. It's, it's, they have been treated. I, I don't even think it's – there is a standard. I mean there's not a standard. It's just a cruel way of, um, of housing people, and you don't care about their – their their mental state. You don't care about their their conditions. You don't care if they have food that's fit for human consumption. It's it's terrible. Oh, absolutely, Samson. Uh, yeah, just to echo a little bit off of what what Dennis was talking about. I mean, yeah, when we had detainees and everything like that, he t- he touched on like the food and the housing, everything like that. But also, like they were also they had to be afforded proper medical care to include like dental. To include, really? I mean, like full head to toe, like we had to take care of them because while they were an enemy combatant, you know, he said we had the Geneva Convention, we had standards and everything else like that. Now, to go back to one of the most horrendous mistreatment of, of detainees in war, the Abu Ghraib situation. Now, these, these people want to talk about how little um, these guards in these, in these county jails and everything like that are paying the, in the situations that they have to go through. I'm sorry, you have E1, E2, E3, E4 soldiers in a combat zone that are having to guard these people that just tried to kill their brothers and sisters in arms. But what they did, they broke the rules, they mistreated these people, and they were held accountable. They were held accountable on the national stage. There was not a news organization that I can recall that did not publish that story, and those the, their records are permanently they're marred and they're marked but now here we go come back stateside you know we have american citizens looking at supposed to be looking after american citizens yeah they might have done something wrong but they're not afforded the exact same humane treatment the same standard of care that we're given to, to enemy combatants and it's an it's an absolute shame i mean like lisa said it's, it's a lack of humanity and then nothing happened to you know with Abu grave those soldiers, they paid dearly. Oh, yeah. I mean, they paid dearly. They lost rank. They were kicked out. I mean, that's for life. But then you have prison guards that did that to uh, Rainey, and nothing happened. So that tells you that we have a major problem with our justice system. Without question, in a mental health crisis, people are more likely to encounter police than get medical help. As a result, 2 million people with mental illness are booked into jails each year. Mm-hmm. Two million mentally ill patients are booked in jails each year. Nearly 15% of men and 30% of women booked into jails have a serious mental health condition. After leaving jail, many no longer have access to needed health care and benefits. A criminal record often makes it hard for individuals to get a job or housing. 
Many individuals, especially without access to mental health services and supports, wind up homeless in emergency rooms and often rearrested. At least 83% of jail inmates with a mental illness did not have access to needed treatment. 83%. You're talking, when you talk about 2 million people, Mm -hmm. you have got to be kidding me. And these, every one of them, one thing about mental illness, you cannot withhold care. You cannot withhold medical and counseling and these things that keeps these folks in a position. And they have to be totally confused in custody. And they're more likely, as as what I just read to you, to commit suicide, to attempt suicide. They have no way out. And you've locked them in a room and left them to die. And you wonder why I am outraged every time somebody opens their mouth and tell me that we have the best system in the world. Do your homework. Do your investigations. Do your research. This is horrible. And the more you, Samson and, and, uh, and Dennis and, and William, to your point, when you talk about we go to great lengths as a world to protect enemies of war. And when you say dental care, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to tell you what the dental care in the prisons is. They rinse your teeth off with water and send you back to your cell. With a water pick, basically you got a water pick that rinsing you. That's it. And you may be bleeding a little bit. There's no mint or anything to help that taste. That's the dental care you get in the prison system in this country. There is no dental care. And you're telling me that according to Geneva Conventions, you, these are steps and things that are on, in writing. You must apply these things. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're required to, you know, you know, under, I mean, we're, when you, when you deploy, when you get in that situation, they give you what we what are called the rules of engagement. And part of that is the Geneva conventions. Like, Hey, you know, if these guys give up, if we get them in custody or whatever, these are now the steps. And like, it, it was to the point of where on both of my deployments, like we had a laminated card of how we had to treat people, you know, when it gets to that. But now here we are, you said it's 83% of the people with a mental illness, they're not getting the treatment they needed. Now, but to put that in perspective of what kind of outroar would be, what would have happened if 83% of our veterans with PTSD or something like that weren't getting the care they needed? Now, you put that on a different foot, there would be a huge outroar from this community because uh, – or from our, our nation because, you know, these are people that, oh, you know, yes, we've, we've sacrificed. We've gone to war. We've fought for our country. We deserve that. But the fact of the matter is, is the people – that are, are you know behind the walls and everything. It, they there's they deserve no less than the best that we can give them as well. They're still citizens, regardless well, of what they've sacrificed or haven't sacrificed. And a lot of a lot of them make no mistake about it are veterans that <laughs> yeah. are in prison that are suffering this type of treatment. Uh, right now we're gonna we're gonna hear from a mother, a young lady I had the opportunity to talk to yesterday, Heather Chapman. Uh, she has a story to tell, and our hearts go out to her and what she has been through. Uh, and Heather, uh, thank you for joining us tonight on this program. We're honored to have you as our guest, that your voice might be heard uh, to our listeners. How are you doing this evening? Good. I'm good. How are you? We're doing good. And uh, thank you so good. much for taking Can you hear me okay? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. We can hear you, hear okay. you clearly. 
And I want to just give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners and just begin, as you know, we're talking about Voices from Behind the Wall, uh, an indefinite series here on AJC Radio, and we're talking about the mentally ill. I don't know how much you've heard of this show thus far, uh, but this is um, some stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is some. I've, I've heard of your show. Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> okay. I have. And we're going to have yeah. you tell your story and. Uh, you as a mother, I'm going to just let you, I'm going to give you the floor, tell the folks about yourself, what, what brought you to this point, uh, really, as you fight uh, for the rights of your son, who is suffering some of the things that we have talked about tonight. Go ahead. Right. Um, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Like, I, uh, my name is Heather Chapman, and um, I have a son, Nico, Nico Albanese, who um suffers with bipolar. Um, He was diagnosed very early. He was diagnosed at the age of 11. Um, He was on Social Security disability, uh, I believe from the age of 12. So he was considered a a disabled Floridian. Um, He was on medication and um, things were good when he was on medication. Um, uh, you know, he was, uh, we didn't have, um, Nico has, suffers with a lot of anxiety, an anxiety disorder, OCD, things like that. Um, when Nico turned 18, uh, basically he was kicked off social security disability and, um, I, I should have been ahead of it, but I wasn't. He was on it for so long that I didn't I didn't realize that when he turned 18, he would be kicked off. And uh, when it happened, I literally started to scramble to, you know, um, get all of the paperwork to um, get him back on disability for the insurance. Without the insurance, I can't get his medication. I can't. There's no doctors. There's no help. And um, I was running into brick walls because Nico is now 18, and I don't have access to uh, the medical records because he's an adult. Uh, Needless to say, Nico started to self-medicate. And um, then Nico ended up committing a robbery. There was a gun involved. No one was hurt, but he did do it, um, and he was sentenced uh, to uh, it was a 10-year mandatory minimum sentence at the age of 19, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, it it the courts wouldn't even consider um, um, that he was bipolar. I think the whole he was in jail for a year awaiting um, sentencing and things like that. Never received any type of medication or any help. And I could see him deteriorating uh, shortly after he was sent to prison. Um, That's when things went from bad to worse. Um, Not only did Nico not have any rights, but Neither did I. Um, um, 
I believe at the time Nico spent a total of 16 days in open population, and the rest was solitary confinement. Nico's well, been in prison to date seven years. So yeah. um, imagine a 19-year-old kid who suffers with bipolar um, being thrown into solitary confinement, um, no medication, um, uh, horrific abuse. There were, I, I can't even count how many cell extractions. Uh, they immediately, um, I put in my paperwork for visitation. As soon as it came through my visitation, um, I wasn't allowed to visit. Um, and they said because he kept receiving disciplinary actions. And when I was asking, well, what, what are these disciplinary actions? They would basically repeat the same disciplinary actions back to me. And um, uh, Nico received, uh, he got a tattoo. And um, that just kept coming up. It was, it was basically the same uh, disciplinary action. And they just kept coming up and coming up. Um, he was transferred from prison to prison to prison. Um, I would say probably a year into his sentence, the letters just stopped coming. Uh, I was I was never allowed any phone conversations, and like I said, I was never allowed to visit. Um, so I had no communication with Nico whatsoever. I knew things were. That I knew there, I knew things were declining. I knew Nico's health was declining, um, but I can't begin to express to you every minute of every day worrying that I would get the call from prison telling me that my son was dead, and um, it, it, it literally got to the point where. I just, basically it was, I would have to make funeral arrangements uh, for my son. Um, and I believe it was in 2014 or 2015, I had gotten in touch with Ron Hanberg from NAMI National. And um, he ended up calling the Florida prison system. He spoke to uh, a man named Dr. Dean Offerhide, who is in charge of mental health in the uh, in all of the Florida prisons. And um, out of respect for Ron Hanberg, he located my son. Um, apparently, my son at that point was in um, a crisis unit. Um, and he was, uh, from what I was told, he was, um, he was completely unresponsive. He had stopped eating. Um, he stopped talking and, um, he was being fed through a tube and, uh, being administered medicines, uh, uh, pretty serious medicines to, 
bring him out of this. Uh, after that, he was moved to Union Correctional. Um, <clears throat> and he was put on a mental health unit. It's called uh, Transitional Care, PCU unit. Now, I don't know. I At this time, I'm still learning about the prison system and how things work. So you would think a mental health unit, well, oh, thank goodness he's getting help and there's medical staff there, but that's not how it, that's not how a prison system is set up. It's set up where if uh, people behind bars are on a mental health unit or in a mental unit, um, uh, you know, they, the only people they deal with are the prison staff, the prison guards. So basically the prison guards decide who gets to go see the doctor or see the nurse. Uh, at this point, my son was deteriorating again. Um, his brain and body had shut down. And uh, no, no one, no other inmate knew who my son was because by the time he was transferred there, he didn't speak. Um, all they, they knew him as the white boy. And um, there was one particular man, his, I'm going to say his name because it's just his nickname. His nickname was Ozo. He noticed my son's food trays coming out of his cell. They're in a solid door cell um, with a very thin, long window, and then there was a slot for the food to come in and out of. He would yep. notice the, the food trays coming out untouched. And... Um, he alerted the the other men in, in this cell block who are also in solitary confinement, solid door cells, um, to keep an eye on him, to try to get him to respond, and which he wouldn't. And this went on for quite some time. Now, at this point, I still have no contact. Uh, I'm not allowed to visit, no phone calls, nothing. And... I'm unaware of this situation. I found out this later. And this situation got so bad that Ozo um, was able to rally the men in the cell block and basically create a riot um, to get the guards to go in and drag my son out of that cell. Um, and they they were chanting and banging on the doors and screaming, um, and it worked. It, it it worked and it saved my son's life. Uh, the guards went in and basically pulled his lifeless body out and brought him back to the crisis unit and hooked him up. Uh, they he had to be uh, <clears throat> tube fed and and there was uh, medicine administered uh, through IV. Um, and I believe at this point I am aware of a little bit, but not much. Yeah. And I got a story out 
um, I believe this might have been the Palm Beach Post story. And uh, when Nico was well enough, or when they felt he was well enough, I got a call from the prison. Now, you'd never get a call from the prison unless they're calling you to, to let you know that your loved one is dead. So when I got that call, I um, my heart dropped. And the first thing I said is, my son dead. And his classification officer was like, no. I'm calling to see if you want to visit. And this is years, years later, two, three years later. And I said, yeah, of course I want to visit. And um, I went for my first visit. Um, It's called a special visit. It was on death row. Nico um, uh, is not on death row, but because it, it has to be behind glass it's only two hours. Um, um, <clears throat> uh, I, um, I, I'll never forget that visit as long as I live. Um, the prison is about six hours one way. So I drove to the prison and I get there and I um, check in and you get frisked and the whole, uh, the whole nine. And then I think you do the death walk. You know, you do the same death walk that that so many, um, and I'm sure many, many innocent men have done, um, down to death row. And they kind of lock you in this room, and you wait. And um, they're... There's a window, and beyond that window, it kind of looks like about the size of a phone booth. And uh, I heard keys. They opened the door, and there was a person with their back to me. And the guard was taking off. um, He was shackled. He was just taking off the top part of the shackle. His ankles were still shackled. He, as this man turned around slowly, I wasn't sure if it was Nico or not. It didn't look like him. He, his, um, his bones were protruding. His, um, he didn't recognize me. He, or he just looked at the floor. He could barely stand up. Um, the guards actually had to help him into the little seat that was there and uh, they locked the door behind him Um, I remember I don't know if it was 20 minutes or 40 minutes but I did everything humanly possible to get Nico to make eye contact with me I felt that if I could make Nico look at me in my eyes that I would be able to get him to recognize who I was. So I, I just, with everything I had, I, you know, kept saying his name and kept telling him to look at me. And I would speak about things that happened when he was a little boy. And I would speak about his sisters and I would speak about his family. And I, I would, um, you know, 
I, I would call him by his name that I, you know, a little nickname that I had for him. And I kept telling him to, you know, to look at me as, you know, mom's here. I'm here, Nico. I'm here. Look at me. And I, like I said, I don't know if it was 20 minutes or 40 minutes, but Nico just kept his eyes on the floor and it was, it was very slowly. He moved his eyes from the floor very slowly up to my eyes. And when he actually made eye contact with me, he, his entire face, it, you could see the color come back. You could see his face soften. And it was almost this belief that was, he wasn't sure if I was really there. And he said, Mom, you're here. And I kind of sighed and I said, yes, Nico, I'm here. And um, from years and years of being so isolated, he, he, his short-term memory, his um, vocabulary, um, um, he lost it. You know, he, he couldn't remember very simple words. It was very difficult for him to communicate. But mm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't let him take his eyes off me. If he moved his eyes for a minute, I would say, Nico, look at me. I, I, I made him focus on me. Absolutely. And I kept talking to him and talking to him and talking to him. And now it's only a two-hour visit, and I can't touch him, but I need to do everything in my power to bring Nico back. Were you, were you allowed to hug him? No, I was not allowed to hug him. I was not allowed, I was not allowed to hug him. And um, I'm going to be honest with you, for any mother... To see their son, 40, 60 pounds underweight and near death, and then for your own child not to recognize you, it was, it was, it was horrific. I can't imagine. I can't Uh, imagine. But I had to give all of my strength to Nico. He could not. He could not see my fear or or he could. I needed to give him that strength. And so once he recognized me and and he said, Mom, you're here. And I said, I'm here, Nico, and I'm not going anywhere. And I've always been here. Um, Then we got into, um, you know, look, Nico, I, I get it. You know, there's maggots in the food. There's roaches in the food. They're spitting in your food. Uh, I said, I don't care. You know, pick out the maggots. Pick out the roaches. You're going to have to eat that food. You're going to have to eat. You have to eat. And then after you eat, I did literally a breakdown of his entire day. Uh, you eat the breakfast, and then after breakfast, you read for X amount of time, and then then you're going to write letters, and then after that, you're going to do you know an exercise uh, routine. And I went through that entire routine, and yeah. at this time, you're going to do this, and at this time, I gave him a schedule. I mean, I think 
as human beings, we need that schedule. We need well, that schedule. And Heather, um, yes, we're we're going to we're going to take a quick break. I want to come back. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you a few questions about. So if I heard you correctly, I want to ask this, and then want to get into it when we come back. As we, I, without question, the system is responsible. The criminal yes. justice system did this to your son. Yes, they did. Yes, you they have did. To hold people accountable. We're going to deal with that on the other side of this break. We want to definitely hear more from you. Your story is heart wrenching uh, because I'll tell you what, I'm standing in that room with you as as you're talking to Nico. And in his mind, he appeared to look hopeless that I'm just stuck here. Oh, he wasn't there. He was beyond hopeless. And I mean, yes, he he was near death. Absolutely. We're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. Also about the food, all that stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been Mm -hmm. listening to Heather Chapman, the mother of Nico, her son. Um, What a tragic story. Uh, But her voice will be heard, and she becomes the voice of Nico tonight, along with AJC Radio, as we discuss voices from behind the wall, the mentally ill suffering in America's prisons and jails in this nation. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. 529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, 
their concerns and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true, tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. I wanted to be in the military since I, was, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for them to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where tonight's Voices from Behind the Wall continues as we deal with the mentally ill abuse happening to the mentally ill in America's prisons. And we've been fortunate tonight to hear the heart of a mother. Heather Chapman tells the story of her son 
who has suffered horrific, uh, unreal acts against her own son behind the wall. And uh, uh, Heather, thanks for joining us tonight and, and being a part of this show. Your voice is vitally important as we get this information out that you have a personal thank you uh, connection to this type of horror. I'm sorry for that. Um, I'm sorry for what you've had to endure. I'm sorry for the moment uh, in that in that in that room. So uh, I, I'm I'm at a loss of words that we live in a country that would allow such activity to happen as the heart of not only yours, many mothers, many families, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and in such tragedy. And to say. Uh, that there's times you thought you had to make funeral arrangements. Yes. That is, somebody must be held accountable uh, for that. The criminal justice system has what we call uh, collateral damage. Yeah. Who who, who was the Yes. I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Um, but I, I also want to comment on um, that first visit with Nico. Um, um, it was surreal. It was so horrific. It was, I think, every mother's nightmare. Um, but at the same time, I cannot tell you how thankful I was that I was there, that I was able to see him. No, I wasn't able to touch him, and um, and I wasn't able to comfort him in, in a way that a mother comforts their child. Um, but I was so, so thankful for that uh, two-hour no-contact visit. Um, I I can't express how thankful I was for that visit. I'm sure. I'm sure. And yeah. to be removed mm-hmm. from your son for three years, uh, for him to be in solitary confinement, this is what we're going to get into. And, and, and going, to, going to be joining us, Heather. I believe you know this gentleman. George Mellencrot is coming on, mm-hmm. on now. Uh, I'm going to bring him into this conversation with you. I understand you guys know each other. And, George, are you yes. with us? George, yes, I am. Thank you so much for Hi, joining George. us. Hey, Heather. <laughs> well, you know the the conversation has gotten difficult, uh, George, uh, and and Heather has, boy, she's told a story tonight that I'll never forget. What I've heard thus far, what happened to her son. Uh, that's why I wanted to invite you back and found out earlier today that you guys knew each other, so it would be perfect. Uh, to have this discussion. I thank bo- both of you again for taking time out of your evenings uh, to have this conversation that people around this nation will hear the voice and, and those that are suffering deal with concerns. So, George, thanks so much for coming back. And, and uh, what are your thoughts? I know you know Heather. Are you familiar uh, with, with her son? Yes, I'm very familiar with Nico's story. And um what the Florida Department of Corrections has done to him is nothing short of criminal. Um, mm-hmm. To deprive him of contact with his mom, which it's been shown 
that one of the things that helps to stabilize the mentally ill is family support and family contact. They completely ignore that fact. And then the other fact that they completely ignore is that solitary confinement is contraindicated for severely mentally ill individuals. And they continually use that as, I mean, it boggles the mind, a mental health Mm -hmm. tool. Really what it's about Mm -hmm. is just uh, Mm -hmm. controlling the mentally ill. There's, there's very little in the way of treatment in our prisons. Prisons are, are not the place to treat mental illness. They're the worst possible place to treat mental illness. And they just don't get it. Um, I don't know if you knew about uh, what happened in my unit in terms of a lawsuit thinking, seeking injunctive relief from the mental health practices that existed uh, when I worked there. And I can tell you it was, it was better than Nico's situation in that although all the men were in technically in solitary confinement, they were in single man cells uh, for, you know, 23 hours a day, um, at least they could communicate with one another and I know that I saw on several occasions when the family members came in for visitation, they had contact visitation. Um, uh, you know, on some level, they were treated more humanely, but the mental health programming was uh, bare minimal. And honestly, as a psychotherapist, I questioned if I was having any positive impact whatsoever because many of my successful cases were sabotaged by the guard. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a deplorable situation and no one in terms of uh, our lawmakers in Florida or the secretary of the, of the department of corrections are making any substantial changes to the way the mental health units are working. And so as a consequence of that lawsuit, uh, there's now what I hear is a nice mural painted uh, somewhere in the unit, and they have more mental health programming, which amounts to basically letting the men out of their cells uh, for uh, hours during the day as opposed to uh, keeping them in there uh, locked down all the time. Yeah. And you know what? I think the reason why uh, the secretary, as you mentioned, has done nothing, because they have been allowed and enabled by the system in which they work for. And there are no consequences for for these people. There has to be consequences. I'm going to play. I'm going to play a play. Excuse me. Play a quick clip. I want to get both of your perspective on it uh, about the issue with the mentally ill in prisons in America. And I'm going to come back and get your thoughts. Let's play it. Nearly five decades ago, America began implementing a policy of closing state mental institutions, otherwise known as deinstitutionalization. That, coupled with a simultaneous decrease in mental health spending, has turned jails and prisons into modern-day asylums. 
Today, the most prominent treatment for the severely mentally ill is incarceration. In a correctional facility, RT's Marina Portnaya reports. That's Christopher right there. Tama Pena rides an emotional roller coaster every time she talks about her youngest son. When he was at Mantia Air Force Base, an honor roll student and Navy Cadet Corps Petty Officer, Christopher Rodriguez had planned to become a Navy SEAL. Everything changed after he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia at 14. My son has been in confinement for, I could say, uh, the past three years. At 22, Rodriguez was arrested and eventually sentenced to 10 years in prison for robbery and assault with a deadly weapon. He is among the reported 356,000 mentally ill prisoners incarcerated in the United States. Prisons here are the new mental institutions. Except... U.S. prisons lack the intensive treatment that psychiatric hospitals offer to patients. Furthermore, mentally ill inmates have the right to refuse medication for their illness. He is not being treated. Um, He is not being rehabilitated. Over the past seven and a half years, Pena says her son has been shuffled between four Florida prisons, including Dade Correctional Institution, where mentally ill inmates have allegedly been tortured, or driven to suicide. It was smelling really bad, and he said, Chris, you haven't taken a shower. He said, what, you're going to tell me about a hot shower too? So he was offered a hot shower. That was the, the part of the torture to the mentally ill. A punishment turned death sentence for Dade Correctional inmate Darren Rainey. In 2012, the 50-year-old, who also suffered from severe schizophrenia, was locked inside a shower cell by guards after defecating on himself. For two hours, 180-degree water, controlled by the guards, poured on Rainey's body as he begged and screamed before collapsing to the ground. More than four years after Darren Rainey's blistered and burned body was carried out of the Dade Correctional Institution, no one has been charged or held accountable for his death. The Miami-Dade Medical Examiner ruled the brutal incident was an accident, concluding the guards had no intent to harm Rainey. His autopsy has not been made public, but in the years following Rainey's death, there have been several reports of other mentally ill prisoners being subjected to scalding showers and other forms of punishment. His death caused an investigation wherein in four prisons in Florida, they fired 32 correctional officers. So that was a start, but have they trained, retrained, educated these guards to look at mentally ill as well as regular prisoners as human beings. George Mallinckrodt made the same argument while working as a psychotherapist at Dade Correctional's Transitional Care Unit. These guards tend to pick out the most severely mentally ill and also the weakest. You don't see these guards trying to attack a six foot four, 250 pound guy. Mallinckrodt says he was fired after filing several reports against the prison guards. Prisons now are warehousing the mentally ill because there's nowhere else for them to go. There there are just not enough treatment facilities, residential facilities in our communities. As of 2012, the number of mentally ill inmates in U.S. prisons or jails remains 10 times higher than the number of people in state psychiatric hospitals. By criminalizing the mentally ill, critics say the system isn't treating the problem, 
just making it worse. He has two and a half more years to go. What is going to happen to my son when he comes out? Marina Portnaya, RT, Miami. There you have it. The mentally ill in, in prisons outnumber those in hospitals across this land. And George Mallinckrodt speaking on that clip as well. Uh, George and, and Heather, I'm going to get your thoughts. How insane is that? Well, that's, that's really insane. And the number that that uh, Marina uh, quoted there, the, the 359,000, uh, that represents the severely mentally ill. Um, the actual number of the mentally ill that are in prisons and jails is more, is closer to 60%. And that includes um, people that seek mental health treatment at least once a year. So they could be maybe a garden variety depression or anxiety or something like that, all the way down to people that are having active psychotic episodes. And that, that's that uh, 20% uh, at any given time are severely mentally ill, and 5% of those are in a psychotic episode. So if you consider that the, the population in Florida prisons is around 100,000, that means right now, as we speak, about 5,000 inmates are actively psychotic. That's this scary. It's, it's very scary. This is something that research just brought to us. And I want, uh, give me one second, uh, Heather. I want to get your thoughts okay. on that. It says here, inmates with mental illnesses are at serious risk of harm in Florida. On a given day, Florida houses approximately 16,000 prisoners and 15,000 jail detainees with a serious mental illness. In large part, these surging numbers reflect Florida's failure to invest in adequate community mental health care. Florida ranks 49th in its spending on mental health services. That's, an- That's quite accurate. Um, and what that means is, for example, in, in Heather's situation with her son, Nico, because mm-hmm. Nico fell through the cracks and didn't get the help he needed in a timely manner, he ended up decompensating and he went out as many of these people do. This is not uncommon. Uh, the, the mentally ill try to treat themselves with street drugs. Mm. And, and so what happens is they fall in with the wrong people and they end up committing crimes um, uh, that are just, you know, would never have been committed had our legislators put the money into mental health treatment in our communities. Oh, and absolutely. this not only happens in Nico but it happened to uh, Hema's son, Christopher, the one who was detailed in that piece by uh, Marina. Uh, mm-hmm. He was, uh, you know, he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And yeah. because they couldn't stabilize him, they, he couldn't get the proper treatment, 
he tried to self-medicate. He gets out there and gets in with the wrong group and, you know, sooner or later commits a crime. And, and this is a very common occurrence in, in our country right now. And Heather, I got a question for you, and then I, w- I want to get your thoughts on that clip as well. Yes. My understanding mm-hmm. is that the gun that, uh, that Nico had was not even loaded. Is that correct? Right. Well, exactly. It, it had a magazine in it, but there were no bullets in the magazine. So they, uh, the way they spinned it in court, it was loaded with the magazine. And, um, yeah, but there I'm were no a, bullets in I'm the magazine. <laughs> but let me I'm ask around to our veterans here. If a mag, if there's a magazine with no bullets, that means it's, it's exactly what it means. They, without rounds in the magazine, it all you're going to get is a whole lot of clicking. That's it. There's so no, there's no harm. So the so your son had, which tells you, whatever he was dealing with in his mind. How can mm-hmm. you claim he's culpable of committing a crime with a weapon that's unloaded? <clears throat> Well, Mon, I mean, that goes back yeah. to like we were discussing at the beginning of the show about you know fit for trial, like, and it's obvious, like with these, with these young people and these personnel that are just stricken with all these different mental health illnesses disorders. That you know, you, why is there not, you know, a mental health expert, you know, on staff somewhere at least by like a region that they can call in and say, hey, you know, just sit here and listen to this. Well, because Heather and I want to get your thoughts, Heather. I, was mm-hmm. it was there was there a, a mental uh, uh, doctor who deals with uh, people with mental illnesses or or limitations? Were they were they well? Be... And uh, in court, it, yeah. It, do you mean in court? Um, yeah, there there was, but um, um, you know, he he absolutely agreed with the diagnosis. Um, um. I believe he said that he was not on his medicine, um, um, and he might have even said the reason why was because of um, the insurance. Um, he turned 18, and um, he was kicked off of um, Social Security disability, so there was no insurance, and that the mother was trying desperately to get it reinstated. But was I was faced with so many roadblocks, and as I'm, you know, going through this, um, Nico begins to self-medicate, and so um, it's not like I'm bringing him into the Social Security office with me. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of a catch 22. And I said, I, I, I remember saying to the caseworker, I said, am I in social security disability? Am I in the right office? Because just a few months ago, my son was classified as a disabled Floridian because of his disability. And now you're telling me because he's 18 that, I need to start from square one, or actually he needs to start from square one. How could he start from square one? I got him on at age uh, 11 or 12. I mean, he, you know, he didn't know how to do all of that. And the process is, is quite difficult and, and grueling. Um, 
even with that insurance that we had, it, 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 you know, it's, um, uh, I believe that with, um, say, a, can- a cancer patient, you have a team of doctors. You have, um, you, you have the doctors that deal with the cancer itself. You have a team of doctors that deal with the pain. You have a, a team, you know, and so it, it's made up of multiple parts. And all of these doctors um, will meet once a week, once a month, to discuss the patient, the progress, and you know this is working, this is not working, and that's not what you get with that type of insurance. You, um, you, you, <laughs> you, you kind of get what you get, and um, it, it, usually it's different doctors. And um, when he's in crisis, you have to. Uh, um, uh, put him into, um, you know, a hospital that will usually only keep him uh, for 48 hours to stabilize them. Um, and, you know, these type of medications, you need to do blood work and, and things like that to see, especially in adolescence when when the brain is constantly changing and, and you know, the levels are changing. Uh, it, it, it's, um, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. So, um, uh, um, but I would like to kind of go back and, and, and talk about, solitary confinement, they take people who suffer with um, mental illness, um, and they call it segregation. Uh, so just so you know, the prison system, they have, they have probably 100 different names for solitary confinement. It's a solid door cell, <clears throat> and there's medical staff is not in the same cell block. It may be right in front of that cell block, but they're not walking around checking the patients, things like that. It's up to the guards. If you could take a healthy brain, someone who has never experienced <clears throat> any type of mental illness, and you lock them in a six by nine cell with um, no contact, at all with family. Uh, the only contact they have are with these prison guards that um, to the, the guards believe that it's a choice. Mental illness is a choice. Um, yeah. And they're there for an easy ride. And I promise you that there is not one person in prison today that would want to be on one of these uh, mental health units because it's not an easy ride. Um, you could take a healthy brain and stick it into solitary confinement. It will not come. It would end up being a very, very sick brain. And um, yes, they do have episodes of, of um, psychosis and, and they, uh, uh, they, they hear voices they um um it it is abs- it's absolutely deplorable what happens it is pure torture so you know nico 
um, was diagnosed with bipolar. Now, I was told he was in a catatonic state. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard... I mean, the last... The, it sounded like a word from the 50s. I mean, a catatonic state, what does that mean? And how does one get to a catatonic state? You know, there, there's got to be warning signs. There's got to be this. How could you allow it to get to that point? How could you allow it to get to the point where they are catatonic? Um, and going back to um, when the, um, Ozo, was, who, who rallied the, the, the other men in the cell block, um, um, to, to, to get a guard to go into Nico's cell and pull him out. I mean, I am so grateful to this man. I don't know his real name and I would love to find him. And I would, um, I would give that man the biggest hug. Uh, he saved my son's life, but it was, I would visit my son after that first visit. I would visit him. I was allowed one visit a week, two hours, no contact. And I would visit him every single week. Now I would drive six, seven hours there, six, seven hours back. Um, I usually on the way back, I would pull off um, at a rest stop and sleep for a a few hours. Um, and I did this every week for until they removed my visits again, probably a year. Um, <clears throat> but the, the, the isolation of putting anyone in a cell a solid door cell like that. And they say 23 hours a day. That's not true. It's, I mean, men and women can go years without seeing the light of day, without having the sun hit them on their face, without, uh, without anything. And if they do go out, it's in Nico's situation at this particular prison, it was twice a week, and you had to sign up for it a few days earlier. And when that guard walked by your cell, if you uh, were not dressed and had the, your bunk made and sitting waiting for him, he would put, pass you by and just mark, you know, refuse to go outside. And once they did go outside, you were put in cages like animals. Um, they no. were caged, so it was not like it's not like you can play basketball or get exercise or even even you know walk the yard or anything like that. You were literally put in cages. The walk in circles. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. You, yes, true. yes, yes, absolutely. Now, when I would. Um, like I said, I visited Nico every week, and I would walk past these cages. Uh, the, uh, all of the men in Nico's cell block knew who I was. I was there the same time every week, and and um, um, they they would 
they would they would start screaming, Bernice, let them know. Your mother's here again. She's here again. But I would also see, I would see these men in in these cages, like animals. These these little cages, yeah. and if it, it the shame on their faces when I walked past them, it was horrific. It was absolutely horrific. And and just one more thing. A few visits in, I asked Nico about um, what happened, you know, about the riot, you know, that Ozo had created. I said, you know, do you remember that? Are you aware of that? And and he said, um, Mom, it was deafening, and I could feel it. And I said, what do you mean you could feel it? He goes, the cell block was vibrating from the men banging and screaming. And I said, what, you know, what, you know, what, did you say anything? Did you, did you know it was about you? And he said, you couldn't not know that it was about me. And he said, I wanted to say something, but I couldn't. He couldn't. He was unable and I said, well, what were you feeling? And he said, fear. Absolutely. Fear. Fear that the guards were going to come in and do another cell extraction and gas him and beat him. And and he didn't know if he would make it through. Well, that's the horror of solitary confinement. Not only do you have mm-hmm. the noise of, in his case, of doing something for him, but then you have the sound of solitary confinement, that is the most horrific sound you will ever hear of mm-hmm. torture. Mental mm-hmm. illness, people who are not knowing how to cope. That you, well, I, Absolutely. You take a healthy brain and you put a healthy brain in that environment and it will react the same way. We Basically, we're human beings. We're all wired the same way. Right. So if you if, if we're social creatures, we 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 need it like water and air and food. We we need that type of socialization. You gotta have it. And and when you you have to have it to to survive. And the brain is an amazing an amazing muscle. I, listen. It it yeah. No no no. Yes, listen. It, it, I, yeah, I agree a hundred percent with you. Uh, mm-hmm. But people need to know about it. That's why the voice of George, absolutely. Uh, what AJC, what we're trying to do is say, look, America. You know, used to say the term, wake up and you know, smell the coffee. Uh, this is a whole mm-hmm. lot more. Of course, wake up. That these are tragedies yeah. happening in our country on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. What we're going to do, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, George. Uh, and Heather, I want to come back and get your closing thoughts as to how do we fight this? I know, George, you do you work tirelessly, and Heather, you've become an, an advocate as a result of what you've seen your son go through. Let's talk when we come mm-hmm. back on this break. How do we get out of this mess? First of all, the steps mm-hmm. that we take is an important one, and we're going to deal with that. But going to break, I'm going to let you hear something. Uh, Called the sounds of solitary confinement. We're going to come back and uh, discuss it. And this is the noise that people are hearing down the halls mm-hmm. in a. 
prisons. We'll be right back after the break. Listen to this. know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less 
and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Tragedies have to stop. There must be accountability. Black, white, brown. We are one. We are one. One. We will not stick to sports. We will not shut up and dribble. This is bigger than basketball. Change can be uncomfortable. Change is necessary. We need to talk. We need to act. We matter. We must unite. Say his name. Stephon Clark. Stephon Clark. We must unite. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Voices from behind the wall, the mentally ill abuse behind the walls of America's prisons is outrageous. It is sick. It is demented. It is the worst, to me, type of torture to really prey upon the most vulnerable, one of the most vulnerable uh, group of people in our society, those that have these mental limitations and to be tortured and I don't have another word for it tortured and in some cases killed at the hands of some guards that's sanctioned by the wardens that sit at the head of these institutions or the deputy sheriffs that oversee jails where this this, this behavior continues to go out of control we've been honored to have George Malincrot as well as Heather Chapman Folks, thank you so much. You guys have given a lot of insight tonight. I want to get your, your really your closing thoughts. And to the question I pose, uh, I'll answer in part, how do we get out of this mess? But I want your perspective. Is holding people accountable. Go in and clean house. It sounds like to me prisons everywhere and jails need to be, house needs to be clean from the top down. Your thoughts first, George, and then, Heather, I'm going to get your thoughts on that as well. George? Yes. um, We definitely need to clean house in the prisons. And um, in the last um, show, I outlined an approach whereby we uh, take the grievance process and put it into uh, the hands of an independent committee. But that's only one piece of the puzzle. We've got to keep the mentally ill out of prison in the first place. And there are a number of ways that we can do that. Uh, One is that I advocate for mental health intervention at an early age in our elementary schools. We're seeing mental illness at a very young age now, and it's very obvious. And um, Heather had mentioned that Nico was diagnosed at an early age with bipolar, uh, but he fell through the cracks. We cannot continue to have our children fall through the cracks. Um, That's tantamount to abandoning our children. And Mm -hmm. legislators need to commit the funds to make that happen. And right now, uh, that $80 billion figure amounts to about $33,000 per inmate a year. 
And I can tell you that I can treat a hundred children for that. Uh, and I was also a part of a program in a middle school where we catered to the at-risk student that had uh, severe psychological issues. But that program for the Dade County school system is no longer uh, there because of funding. So that's, that's one area. A second area are the mental health courts and the jail diversion programs like the one we have in Miami and also San Antonio where uh, mentally ill, uh, potentially, uh, you know, people that, that, that would be thrown in jail after they committed a, you know, a nonviolent crime um, are taken, instead of prison, they're taken to a processing uh, center where they are pointed to mental health treatment. They put them in mental health treatment programs, uh, and once they're stabilized, they uh, look at trying to get them jobs. That, that's the San Antonio model. Um, so there are good models out there. We need to scale it up to cover the entire United States. Um, and given, uh, and so this is the third thing that addressed your question. Given the fact that our largest mental health providers are now our jails and prisons, um, they need to get up to speed on this issue because they are lagging dramatically behind in terms of treatment protocols uh, and effective means to stabilize uh, the mentally ill and then help them to transition back to our communities because 85% of all incarcerated individuals will be back in our communities. And we need to, to return people like, like Nico or uh, Christopher um, back to our communities in good condition, not, not severely damaged as it appears that, that these individuals will be when they come back to our communities, because mm -hmm. uh, in, unless they have adequate treatment, their chances of reoffending are much greater than uh, somebody else who comes out from prison into the community who's fairly well adjusted. So, I mean, there's a lot to do, but it's going to cost some money. And right now, all of our mental health efforts at the state and national level are severely underfunded. In fact, um, a lot of times they'll enact a bill and they'll say, well, it, as long as it doesn't cost anything, we're all for it. But you know what? You have to spend money here, and if you spend it smartly, you're going to save big bucks down the road. Every dollar we spend on a child is $20, $30, $40 down the road we don't have to spend for incarcerating the mentally That's right. ill. That's right. Good point, George. Thank you so much for that. Heather, your you're closing. Welcome. Yes. Uh, Heather, your closing <laughs> on this. Right. Um, well, my closing thoughts are, I, I think actually the issue is <laughs> even larger than when then we realize because of, the private prison system. Um, it, the, the prison itself may not be private, but you have um, 
the mental, the healthcare, the commissary, uh, the phone system, all of that is private. And it's, uh, they make so much money off of it. And so many people benefit from that. Yeah. Um, that I think that's that's really our our serious issue, but it's it's uh, we need uh, better health care, follow up care um, on here on the outside, and, and like George had mentioned, uh, the diversion program uh, by Judge uh, Stephen Leifman in Miami is uh, is. Is a great start. It's an amazing start. Um, it diverts them from going to prison. Um, but, you know, kind of backing up, I think, you know, before they even get to that point, they should have adequate care. I cannot tell you how many times I researched and uh, uh, adequate care, follow-up care, um, the same doctors, doctors kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, caring for Nico, kind of communicating and that kind of thing. Um, uh, I, I, there's just there's absolutely a need for that in, in this country. And why we don't have it, I feel it really does boil down to uh, money, stigma. Um, and things like that, and and it it's uh, it it's horrible. Also, like George mentioned, uh, uh, listen, these people when they're coming out of prison, their mental health issues are so <laughs> exasperated by their experience. Right. Um, that we need follow-up care. Absolutely, there has to be programs put into place. You cannot stick someone into solitary confinement for years at a time and then release them out onto the street and expect all is well. Um, yeah. Well, you're right. And if I could just make a comment about the what we heard, the noises in, in solitary confinement, along with me getting the once-a-week visit with Nico, it was also I was allowed to get phone calls, uh, phone calls every every night, and because Nico was in solitary, um, it, basically Nico would bring me into his cell every night, and I would hear those noises and I would hear them so clearly that I got to know all of the men on the cell block, and I can hear. Um, certain men when they were beginning to go into psychosis from the severe isolation. And, uh, you know, just a few weeks earlier, they were fine. And now they're in psychosis. And the way that it's dealt with is cell extractions, uh, being gassed, beaten, and, and so on. So, you know, they're punished for the symptoms that they have. Uh, we we have a lot of work to do. We have a, absolutely a lot of work to do. But I think the first step is is talking about it, not being ashamed of it, and and getting it out there, getting it out there to uh, uh, to mainstream America. 
No, absolutely can right. I, absolutely right. Can I make right. a quick follow-up point? Yes, George, go ahead. Heather mentioned money, and, it, and she couldn't be more accurate. Every single body that is in prison represents dollars to uh, price, private prison corporations, whether they supply the food, the phone calls, the mental health, or the medical services, or private prison uh, industry, uh, themselves, like a Geo Group mm-hmm. and Core, Core mm-hmm. Civic. And these concerns, they know that if we had adequate mental health treatment in our communities, it would decrease the prison population substantially. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not all about getting any kind of uh, funding for those. And what mm-hmm. they do in addition to that is through their lobbyists, uh, in Washington and in in state capitals, they have these mm-hmm. legislators um, in their back pockets, so to speak, because yeah. they make substantial com- uh, campaign contributions. So we're wondering Absolutely. why nothing is happening. Well, everybody is invested in keeping things just like they are, and mm-hmm. they don't they don't want to improve the circumstances for the mentally ill specifically for that reason. And that's just one segment of the prison population uh, that they're not addressing. Of course, there are many others that would reduce prison populations. These companies, they realize that, and the next big market is immigration. They are salivating over immigration Mm -hmm. because that's their next profit source. It is a – it is – it is – uh, like making a deal with the devil uh, to do Absolutely. any business with these private prison companies because the contract the contracts are often slanted in favor of these companies that that, is, that mm-hmm. are just ridiculous. Like they have to keep their prisons ninety eight percent occupied. Uh, the list goes mm-hmm. on. That's just I just want to make a small point. I, I mean that is just crazy. How do you guarantee? Uh, 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 98% occupancy in a prison. I mean, think about that. That is absolutely crazy. But they're it's able the, to do it. They're yeah, able to do it. That's the structure of the system. They're able to do it. But, absolutely. Oh. And there is billions and billions of dollars that many, many people and people in power are getting very wealthy off of. And yes, so... Um, we, it, we it, going, it is an issue. Listen, we're going to be a voice, and look, two hours is not enough time in a show to deal with such a no. huge problem. Uh, so, I, I, listen, I want to definitely invite you guys to come back. Uh, we're going to be dealing Thursday with the voices from behind the wall. We hear from the those that are immigrants who are suffering abuse by the mm-hmm. hand of a place. Mm-hmm. They ran to for help. We hear their voices right. on Thursday. So, uh, listen, please tell everybody to tune in. George, uh, Heather, Voices mm-hmm. from Behind the Wall, it continues here on AJC Radio. We thank you so much for your perspective, your personal courage, Heather, that you brought to this show tonight to share that thank story. I, I can't tell you how much we respect that, and we, we appreciate you. Our prayers and thoughts are with you, uh, with Nico, and all right. those that are suffering uh, behind the wall, and I want to again a very special yeah. thanks for coming to the show tonight. We appreciate you both so much uh, for and what you're doing. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yeah, 
Thanks for having me on as well. Okay. Thank you, guys. Try to enjoy the rest of your it. evening. Hey, hey, thanks for the work that you're doing. We salute you in that effort. Thank you. And you as well, and you as well, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a platform to to um, speak about this. I mean, when I first started this uh, seven years ago, I would literally get hung up on. Um, and so thank you. Thank you so much for all your hard work. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. You always have a platform here. George, Heather, take care. Have a good rest thank of the evening. Okay. Good night. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Okay, folks, a uh, lot of information there, but heart-wrenching. Cliff, do we still have Heather? I mean, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, we still have Kathy. Kathy, uh, I apologize for that. Has a comment about the show tonight. Kathy, thank you for holding uh, your life. Thank you. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Um, I just, I know Heather personally. I know Nico's story. Um, yeah. I've actually been working with Heather for <laughs> over five years now um, on trying to get help for Nico. Um, so it's very personal to me. Um, and I'm also very familiar with uh, Chris Rodriguez's story as well. Um, both of them. Um, but two things I want to point out when they talk about the mental health courts. Um, the mental health courts are only open to people who, and George said it, nonviolent crimes. Yes. A lot of people who are in jails are in there for violent offenses, unfortunately, who have mental health issues. And when I say that, it's, it's something very simple. It's like maybe, um, you know, trying to take a swing at a police officer or something. So they get them on assault when really there was no, you know, contact whatsoever. But because it's considered a violent, that precludes them from participating in those mental health courts. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yes. You know, so you've got that issue. Um, and another thing was with the private prison industry. Um, a lot of the private geo and all that also provide post-release programming in a lot of states. They work with the parole departments, and a lot of people don't understand that. In fact, they run halfway, and in addition, they also run halfway houses as well. So a lot of, um, like in New Jersey, for instance, GEO runs the day reporting program. They run the anger management program. They do the annual risk assessments for parole. So these for-profit Corporations are making money while people are incarcerated, but also then when they're out. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Kathy, this is what I want you to do. We're at the we're at the back, really the back end of this show now. Yeah, I know uh, we are. And I apologize uh, that I didn't get to you. It's sooner. not. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Listen, feel free to call back. We're going to be dealing with ICE, the immigrants that are suffering abuse behind the wall. Okay, on Thursday. Yeah, I'll call in Thursday. Not a problem. You always got something good because, to say. We appreciate it so yeah, much. Yeah, because ICE is, is the geo and, you know, core, civic core. Okay. Well, listen, And I'm, it's the same stuff. I'm going to talk to you offline. I want to get your thoughts of what you can okay. bring to that conversation on Thursday, okay? Absolutely. 
Thank you so much. Have a good evening, and we appreciate. And I, and I just want to I want to thank you for um, giving Heather a platform this evening. No, absolutely, she definitely deserves it. Okay. Thank you All so right. Much. Have a good evening. Take care. Bye. Bye. Till next time, America. We're up against the clock. What a show. Heart wrenching. Please don't miss Thursday. Tell everybody about it. Voices from behind the wall. The immigrants that have traveled here for freedom and for help suffer abuse behind the wall. We'll deal with that Thursday. Till next time, America. Good night. Across the United States, officers use force against prisoners with mental disabilities unnecessarily, excessively, and even maliciously. Prisoners with mental illness are more likely to have disciplinary problems, to wind up in solitary confinement, and to be subjected to use of force by correction staff. Prisoners are beaten, pepper sprayed, shocked with electric stun guns. They end up with broken bones. They end up with lacerations, burns, stitches, and sometimes they end up dead. Lopez, come to the door. Christopher Lopez suffered with mental illness for most of his adult life. He died at the San Carlos Correctional Facility in Pueblo, Colorado. Fender Lopez, this is your third chance to come to the door and cuff up. Over the course of seven hours. We will have the team enter yourself. The corrections and medical staff, in an effort to follow policy, videotaped the last hours of Christopher Lopez's life. Fender refuses to comply with directives. Team leader, you have permission to enter yourself. You can hear labored breathing by Lopez. He's now in the restraint chair. The restraint chair is like a wheelchair, except your hands are tied and you're shackled at the waist and your ankles are tied. He's got a spit hood over him to prevent him from spitting at any officers. Mr. Lopez had a grand mal seizure. It was clearly audible and visible from where all the guards were and no one lifts a finger to help him.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.